And the fact is this, boys. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Kaya, and welcome to The Curb Podcast. My name is Andrew F. Pierce, and this podcast is produced in Bulu, Perth, Western Australia. Sovereignty never ceded. On this episode, I chat to writer, director, and editor Adrian Powers about his new film, Love is in the Air. This romantic drama tells the story of Dana, and she's played by Delta Goodrum in her return to acting. Dana is a seaplane pilot in far north Queensland, and when she's not out monitoring the region from the skies, she's delivering much-needed supplies to remote communities. Her job is thrown into disarray when the business that helps fund the operation sends the handsome William, played by Joshua Sass, to come and value the business with the intention of decommissioning it. Naturally, romance ensues. Supporting actors include Aussie icons like Roy Billing and Steph Tisdell. In the following interview, Adrian talks about working in a hallmark model of film and TV production in Australia with Jaggy Entertainment. He also talks about the contrast of a film like Love is in the Air with his earlier works like the short film Brolga, which was partially shot in the Chernobyl exclusion zone. We also talk about the need for light and fluffy films like this, before heading into a discussion about working with the elements in far north Queensland and, curiously, how the beards of characters are decided. Love is in the Air is on Netflix internationally right now, while Adrian's next film, A Royal in Paradise, will receive a limited theatrical release in Australia from next week. To listen to further interviews, make sure to subscribe to the podcast feed so you never miss an episode. New interviews are released on Fridays, with bonus interviews appearing on Wednesdays. And to read reviews, head over to thecurb.com.au. For now, here's the trailer for Love is in the Air, followed by the chat with Adrian about the film. Fullerton Airways, reading you loud and clear. Fullerton Airways, if we were to sell, we would wipe the debt off our books. Take care of it. They're sending someone to do an inspection. <coughs> William. Dana. You must be Mr. Randall's assistant. Chief pilot, actually. Oh. Strap in. Sorry. Got to know where to put my hands. I'm going to touch something. Just put gonna... your hands down. This is it. Fullerton Airways. Too much, Dad. What about you, Will? Do you run a business with your wife? I'm single. Interesting. When do I have time to go on dates? You've got to put your feet on the ground sometime. Otherwise, life will fly right by you. Have you been practicing that? Yes, in the mirror. <laughs> Don't start getting attached. Shut that place down. Get yourself home. People like you don't give a damn about us. You show up, worm your way in, take a little holiday. Cyclone! It's on the way! I promise, I am going to fix this. If you want something done, you ought to do it yourself. Where else would you rather be? This is the last place on earth I wanted to be. No, I don't want to leave. Sometimes the best way forward is to chart a different course. Doesn't look like this back home. <laughs> I've been fascinated by what you and Steve and all the people do with Steve Jaggy films. Is Steve? It, it went through a short, short name change, didn't it? When it used to be Steve Jaggy Productions, and now it's Steve Jaggy Films. Is that right? Or so it used to be. It used to be the Steve Jaggy Company, and now it's Jaggy Entertainment. There's nobody doing what you're all doing in Australia, 
And that is what really excites me and interests me because Love is in the Air drops on Netflix. It's number one in multiple different countries. And you can go, look, you know, the cynic out there might be able to go, all right, cool, it's because it's Delta. But then you look at all the other productions that Jackie has done and it's like, no, actually, you know, there's been a huge success with a lot of them. Absolutely. So I kind of want to lean into talking about that to start off with. How and where does the drive for these productions come from? Well, I mean, I guess it's there's lots of, there'd be plenty of answers to that question. And I know that what Steve and I align with, you know, first of all, you know, we love making movies, you know, and, and I've worked now with Steve for almost 10 years, in, first in an editorial capacity, then in a writing capacity, now in a writing directing capacity. And so we've been close and become friends now over the over the course of that. And that's one of the things that I love so much about it is there's a family atmosphere over there. You know, like in his with his team, the people that he's been working with for a long time. Some people have come, some people have gone, but the family is now obviously getting bigger because the films have continued to have continued success. Um, and that just speaks to the fact that there is a big market for these types of films. And make no mistake, like I know I could speak for Steve when – I say that he's and 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 the the team of creatives that all work together in that kind of family. We're constantly looking to expand and open into new territory and new genres and stuff. So like we started kind of doing more kind of art house independent stuff, and then we kind of transitioned into a a teen kind of space and found success there. And then moving into a rom com space, and there's really <clears throat> exciting stuff on the horizon for the future. You know, and obviously that's something to Steve to talk about when the time comes. But I'm. You know, I've, I work with, with that group and with many other people, both here and in Queensland, and have spent a lot of time collaborating with a lot of different artists, a lot of different producers, worked in a lot of different teams. And I love coming back to that group because it, it is like a family and it is maybe more akin to a US kind of philosophy in terms of making that, that you know, like far be it, you know, we don't go in there and look at it as like just content to knock off. Like every one of those things, we all go in there and work to make those movies as 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 enriching and lovely as they can be and we're super proud of them and i think that they're continuing to evolve and the most important thing is i just get so much lovely feedback from people that reach out all over the world from every different walk of life going really enjoyed this thank you so much it was really lovely film to watch um so it's really gratifying i interviewed steve way back when chocolate oyster came out and even though the productions like lovin's in the air and stuff like that they're completely tonally different than what chocolate oyster is the ethos of doing something that nobody else is doing was there in the structure of that film and that, totally that kind of indie stuff, you know, black and white, the credits appear, what, halfway through the film, it just ends, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a, it's absurd in a lot of ways, but it works and it's a lot of fun. Um, and then you look at what's happening now and they're very much the same mindset and I've, I've been fascinated by that progression there. But then on the same hand for you as well, like, rewatching Brolga it's like it's it's interesting to see that kind of creative development because there there is still that mindset of all right let's do something that's unique that's pushing the boundaries a little bit and I guess when people think about boundary pushing stuff they think of David Lynch they think of things that like uh, make you feel uncomfortable but then in an Australian cinematic perspective and TV perspective boundary pushing is this in my frame of mind <laughs> because it's like we don't have a hallmark here in, here in Australia, and that's the kind of tonal consistency. And it makes me really excited because it's like, well, people often talk about how is the best way of getting Australian culture 
seen and recognized. And it's like through popular entertainment that is going to reach a, a huge amount of people. And that's what I loved about Lovers in the Air. It's like, it's just, it's Queensland all over it, yeah. right? But it's also yeah. not in the sense of like, you know, living in Western Australia, a lot of our films are, are, are kind of like tourist advertisements in a way. But this isn't a tourist advertisement. It's just like, because that's the format of what these films kind of look like. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit by any chance? And in, in that Yeah, mindset? 100%. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I mean, let me take that from the front. I mean, like, you know, for me personally as a filmmaker, because you mentioned my short film Brolga, which is, you know, a post-apocalyptic, experimental, weird kind of Western, you know, Australian psyche analysis thing which is available on YouTube. And then you've got this. And as you say, yes, they, they could not be more tonally different. But the fact is what I always like to tell people is that I just love the process of making films. And when you go into making a film, you go, okay, who are we making this film for? And what do we want them to feel at the end of it? And, you know, far again, not to make it like a production line or thinking about it as a, because I don't like thinking about things as product or content. I like, I still think of them as art and movies and certainly but as entertainment. And so you're like, okay, who are you making this for and what's going to entertain them for people who are looking to watch certain stuff? And again, I am such a deep and, and affectionate lover of all of Australian cinema. And yes, we maybe do have a little bit of a reputation for making confronting cinema, which again, I adore. And I'm, there's so many astounding Australian films up there of that type. Yes, we wanted to make a movie with this that had mass appeal that would appeal to a to a large demographic a mainstream demographic we wanted it to be full of affection for australiana to show off the landscape the people and the situation because really we went into this movie going we really want to tell a story and and demonstrate how there's these vast communities in australia that are so disconnected and so separate from what maybe the world perceives australia to look like and be and they're connected by these air and um you know plane networks that that are oftentimes they're dependent on to survive and we're like we really want to show that to the world we really want to to speak to that whilst at the same time making it a really nice feel-good movie that you could just watch and go that was lovely that was sweet that entertained me i walked away from that feeling like it was a heartwarming thing that made me maybe want to see australia and opened my eyes up to a part of australia i've never seen there it, it, it has some kind of genre conventions that match maybe some of those, you know, what you describe as like a hallmark genre kind of film. Um, that is what we set out to make. You know what I mean? Like that was what it, that was the, what we designed and what we wanted it to be. Because again, we know that there is such a huge market for those types of stories out there. And so our philosophy is always, you know what you're making, you know what you want it to be for the audience you're targeting, make it the best you can do. If you can talk about, I guess, the, the critical reception in, for Hallmark films in some capacity in the sense that there is often this this really negative perception of them that they're not valuable because they don't do anything that's kind of culturally important or anything like that but if you look at like the the impact that Christmas films and things like that have had not just in America but globally there is this huge amount of people who who tune in all year round they watch them all year round because of that comfort that joy that they give and surely, I, I find it really fascinating that we can look at films like this and go, well, it's not ver it's not worthwhile because we know exactly what's going to happen and it's hitting all the right beats and all this kind of stuff, but it's not doing anything else. But you still are sitting there feeling like you've actually had a nice, sweet experience. Like the notes, the first notes that I've got is light and fluffy. And it's like, what point did we get 
in society where light and fluffy is shit, <laughs> you know, is like, <laughs> like what, what point did we go? That's not valuable or important. Right. And, and that's what I really appreciate about the, the films that you and Steve and everybody else works on is that they are light and fluffy, but they do so with a purpose of making you feel good at the end and I, Absolutely. i'm fascinated why we've gotten to this point where that's a bad thing <laughs> well that's right and you know and you speak to the critical reception of the movie and we've had you know some critics that didn't necessarily respond to it we've had plenty of other people you know screen hub who, who completely identified exactly what you just said who are like this is very familiar and it, that's its strength you can go in there and you know what you're going to get but it's comforting and the most important thing is again what i was speaking to before is the 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 intention of the movie is to entertain, you know, like, and that is, and, and entertainment comes in many, many different forms and we seek different types of entertainment from different types of art. And in this particular instance, this particular film is designed to entertain, but it's also designed to do those things I spoke about. And I think that you can actually smuggle in some of these other ideas into those types of movies. And you always can, you so, know, again, this movie, it's, um, it's, 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 I think it's, it's a, it's a beautiful love letter to Australia. And yes, it might be a heightened kind of um, cinematic version of that. And that's okay. Like this is, it, it, it's not a documentary, but I think it, it does in many ways capture the spirit of Australia. And, you know, we definitely felt we had lovely things to say in there about perseverance and family and lots and lots of really elemental themes that we love in movies that we see. So again, the, the the audience reception is everything. Like you said, we had a wonderful uh, launch on Netflix. You know, we were in the global top 10. Um, and then this week we found out this morning that, again, we're we're doing wonderfully. I think we're, we're, we're number four in the global top 10. So the fact is that the audience is tuning in. The audience is watching it. The audience is re-watching it. And that's what they're saying to me, people reaching out, you know, on all forms of social media or just on, you know, um, you know, sending me an email. People reaching out going, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this film. It's exactly what I needed. And, uh, and that's really, really rewarding for us. And, and like I said earlier on, I just like making films, all different types of films. I'm not going to be making necessarily this type of rom-com forever, but I've thoroughly enjoyed this and, and some of the other films of this type that I've worked on. So I guess in, in that sense, the creative differences between doing stuff like, you know, working as an editor on films like Dark Place and, and then obviously doing stuff like Brolga, there is a, a tonal and creative difference there. What have you learned from making those that you're able to apply to these kinds of films and, and the difference of, of building a structure of this kind of story and framing it in a directorial and editorial capacity uh, to be something that is so yeah, light and fluffy? It's the same sort of thing as people go like, what sort of movies do you want to make? Or what sort of movies are you interested in making? It's like all of them every type of genre i'm fascinated by film i'm fascinated by storytelling so i don't go into these films with a different mindset and a different okay well this is this type of movie so you've got to approach it this way this is this type of film this type of story no you just go in there with the desire to tell the best version of that story and the, the critical thing is again you go in what is the story we're telling who are we making it for and what do we want them to feel at the end of it and so every choice you make should be in service of those objectives so you need to have the wherewithal to go in and go, okay, what are we making? You know, let's all be honest. What is it What is it we're trying to achieve? So with something like Brolga or some of my other short films or Forbidden Ground, my first film, which are fairly confronting, harrowing films, 
Um, we were saying a lot of very confronting and I think important ideas in some of those in some of those films. Sometimes they were not successful, sometimes they were, but you go in with a desire, okay, what are we trying to do with this story? And, and I think I speak for the rest of my crew and the collaborators, my co-writers, um, you know, everyone in from production to post, you don't go, okay, this is this. I mean, you obviously need to know what the boundaries of the genre or what type of story you're telling, but I don't think it changes the way that you approach it. If you go in, you go, okay, this scene, we really want people to be frightened. Okay, in this scene, we want them to be laughing. What's the best way to achieve that with the tools that we have? And I don't think it really changes. It's just about how do you approach this particular film. With, with that in mind as well, the writing teams that you've got, how does the writing group work? Does somebody come up with an idea and then you reach out to people and then get them together? Or, or do you have a writer's room or something like that? It, it varies. You know, it certainly varies from project to project. So I myself always operate as part of a co-writing team. So my co-writing, kind of my creative partner, um, is Kyra Bradshaw, who I've known for uh, almost 20 years now. We've been working together since 2017. We've worked on a bunch of stuff. We've written a bunch of screenplays together, you know, some that we haven't had produced yet, but um, we're working on. Uh, we worked together on Steve's show, a Netflix series, Dive Club, in 2021. That was a great experience. So that was a traditional kind of writer's room setup, but we had a bunch of other writers during COVID, so we're Zooming in all over the world. But for these recent films that I've written and directed for Jagging Entertainment, namely a Royal in Paradise, which is actually coming out here next week, and Lovers in the Air. I've worked with Kyra. So again, it's 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 different from project to project because sometimes you'll have an idea for something and bring it to someone and that might develop into something else. Or it might be the opposite. There might be a commission from a financier or people in markets who want to be looking for a certain type of film. And so, you know, what's great about again the relationship that I have with Steve and his team is because Kyra and I are a co-writing duo and I'm a director, They can we are kind of a complete package. So they'll go, okay, we want to do this type of story. So in the case of Love is in the Air, for instance, Steve came to us and said, we want to do a rom-com set in Australia featuring Steve Plains that speaks to how all of these remote communities depend on that. And that is a fresh idea and a cool new take on something, which we agreed with. And so there had been uh, another writer, another lovely writer named Catherine McPhee, who had kind of done a pass on this film. And then we kind of took the script and continued to work on that and, and really got into the guts of it and opened that up and, and spent a lot of time developing it and working on it with Steve, working on it with Netflix. But for me, like the writing part of the film is of any of these things is a real joy, especially working with Kyra, because we've got such a fantastic kind of creative cohesion where, you know, you can call each other out on your BS uh, when it when it crops up, you know, people often go like, what's it like, you know, uh, working with a co-writer? How does that work? Or even working with a co-director, like on Forbidden Ground, my first film, which I co-directed with Johan Earl. They're like, how does that work? And I go, let me tell you, as long as you've got someone that you can collaborate with and a good relationship with, it's a blessing because you've got someone there going, is this good? Like, does this work? Rather than have to submit that to someone and then go, oh, God, what, did, we, did we make a mistake hiring this person? Then you go, oh, no, you need rounds of feedback. You need to learn. You need to adapt. If you've got a co-writer that you're bouncing ideas off of, it's, it just makes the, the work better, faster. And it's just it, it just polishes it so much more quickly. So working with Kyra on these films has been an absolute joy. And, you know, and we're continuing to work on stuff now. And, you know, once I, when I pop off this chat, I've got to get straight back into a script meeting. So, yeah, the writing is, is, is the joyous part. I mean, it's all joyous, but writing is, is a real joy. 
So, so with that in mind, the biggest collaboration, I guess, in some capacity, the, the most visual one, is working alongside Delta. And it's been a long time since she's acted. Uh, and, of course, people know her from her music and everything else. But what's it like ushering in a return for acting for, for her and helping her bring that to life on screen? Well, I mean, look, first of all, I'm... I'm more delighted that she chose our film to be the vehicle with which she ushered her own return into, into that because, you know, Delta's a force of nature and I was just delighted and overjoyed that this is a project she wanted to be a part of, you know, and she, Delta was someone that we were kind of looking at from the beginning, you know, that was another part of Steve's vision. He was like, I really would love Delta Goodrum to be the lead of this film, to be this character. And we were like, great, fantastic. Because again, you know, it's really, really helpful when you're writing a film to be able to write for someone in envision that person, even though we had no guarantee that she was going to do it. And we had to obviously present a script to her. But thankfully she was intrigued by it. And I had it and I and I met her and came on and we did a kind of a Zoom meet and greet like like we're doing now. And she is just one of the nicest, kindest, most genuine people you're ever going to meet. Like her public presentation of what she is like as a person is what she is like. She is kind and gracious and friendly and funny and so talented and such a hard worker. So when I first met her and, you know, we hit it off and we kind of developed a good rapport and, you know, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And then we were doing like little reads through the script and doing chemistry reads with people and I was like this is fantastic I mean she's a really great actor I mean I should I was familiar with her work but as you say like there hadn't been that much of it lately because she's been so committed to us you know her singing career but I was so excited by what she was bringing to it I was like this is fantastic she's really really nailing it getting to know her on set was so wonderful and talking to her about her creative process and the choices that she made and you know and she was just happy to do this because she really enjoyed the script and she, the character resonated with her but you know, at the end of the day, I, um, I'm just so grateful that, that she w was a part of it and it really getting to know her has been a joy. And I'm, I'm so happy that I've actually managed to foster that relationship. I guess in some capacity, as we were talking about the presentation of Australiana as well, like there is, she is a, a screen legend in a lot of ways or a music legend and, and an icon. And it's fascinating reading through some of the, the letterbox comments, which are clearly from a lot of Delta fans and they're just like, oh, it's great to see our queen back on screen and all this kind of stuff. And that's really sweet. But on the same capacity, you know, boosting up that Australian vibe, you have supporting cast, which really leans into the, oh, I know that person from somewhere. Like we've got Roy, we've got Steph. And I'm curious if you can talk about casting specifically those two actors for the supporting roles and making sure that we have that extended Australiana vibe in the supporting cast. Totally. I mean, look, both of those, I mean, the entire cast is fantastic. Joshua, who plays William, you know, Roy, Steph, Hugh, everyone in this film is is so great. And I think the performances are just so lovely. I'm so grateful to everyone. But when we were working and developing on those two specific characters, Jeff and Nikki, it's funny because with, with Jeff, it was one of those situations like, I want to get a Roy Billing type. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and then it was like, well, let's just get Roy Billing. It was like, oh, my God, this is it's happening. Um, and, and you know, because obviously I'm, some, I'm, I'm someone who's loved Roy's work for the last 25 years. I still remember going to see The Dish with my family in 1998 and seeing him in that. And that was such a formative family experience going to the movies because it was just such a – and, you know, funnily enough, that was kind of a tone that we were kind of looking to strike for this movie, which we thought was a really, really lovely, touching, sweet piece of Australiana that also speaks to – it's an international involvement and putting it on the map. So getting Roy was just a delight. And as, as soon as we were like, yeah, he's interested in doing it. I was like, fantastic. Because again, we kind of wrote the part for him. So I feel that he's probably going to be able to take it by the horn. And then when it came to Steph, 
Steph was someone that everyone on the production was like, that's who we want for this part. Like that was, you know, it was really, you know, and, and I will say that for all these parts, there were wonderful people that auditioned for these roles. And I will say that like there are people out there that did auditions for some of these parts that were so wonderful and fantastic. And I was just so enriched by seeing some of those, but Steph really was everyone's number one choice for this part. And that was just such a, I think it was a wide decision by the production because not only is she so super talented as an actor and as a comedian, but she's just so funny and such a wonderful presence and energy on set. Cause it was, it was, you know, we, it, you're shooting in final Queensland, the weather can flip on a dime, you're shooting on an airfield. It can be stressful. And the energy that Steph brought to set was just so contagious and so funny. And she's got such a fantastic laugh. And, you know, so between, Steph going over here doing free stand-up comedy, Delta over here in between takes just belting out free tunes and Joshua Sass reciting poetry that he's been writing in between, you know, just like this is just a, this is a Renaissance production when it comes to all the cast. Um, yeah, they were all just fantastic. I think, I think Steph and, you know, she, she steals the scenes that she's in. She's fantastic. I mean, I've always enjoyed seeing her on screen and love her stand-up comedy as well, but I'm curious in, You've got your script. How do you let her energy and, and personality shine through? Do you let her kind of improv a little bit? Is there a discussion beforehand about bringing that Steph personality out in that character? Well, obviously, when you hire someone like Steph, you want her to bring the energy and the creativity that she's so known for. And generally speaking, my philosophy with any actors is that I love improvisation. I love when actors find something truthful to themselves or come up with an idea. Generally speaking, I love ideas. I love when people come up and give me ideas on set. Um, It's all about making the best film. And so with actors, I love to say, and I love rehearsing with actors. So let's get in there. Let's find stuff. Let's play with things as the writer or as one of the co-writers. That's super advantageous because if I see something that's working or an idea that's developing, you can incorporate it into the script and you can explore that. So I love to say to actors, feel free to improvise, feel free to feel it and own it. If you have an idea before the day that we think is good, please do tell me because we can work it in. But again, with someone like Steph, you just need to know that she's got such an improvisational wit that not only is she going to bring ideas before you shoot, but she's going to be in the moment and just firing stuff off. And you've just got to be ready to catch that. And so she came to me in, in advance and said, hey, do you mind if we make these changes for my character? Do you mind if we make these changes for some of the humor I want to tell? Do you mind if I inject a bit more kind of Aboriginal voice and kind of First Nations energy into this and kind of customize this a little bit? And I was so happy to do all that. And then when you're on set, she'll go with all sorts of fun, different playful directions and the other actors will respond. And then the best thing is she's one of those actors at the end. She goes like, can I just fire off a bunch of stuff? Like, can I just do a few things now, you know, and just... And I love that. And so does like Ahmed, my editor, because it's like, yes, just give us stuff that we can play with in the edit, you know, like, and, and so she'd be like, can I just try this? Can I do like five versions of this? And I was like, please go for gold. And yeah, she's, she's, she's brilliant. I'm curious as well, as we're talking about actors, one of the other big actors, of course, is the setting, but you need it to really be sunny and bright and all this kind of stuff for a lot of it. And then we have a storm and all this kind of stuff. So you need it to be, you know, hitting its marks and, you know, the weather, as we all know, doesn't really do that. So I'm curious if you can talk about the difficulties of shooting and making sure that you have a nice, bright, sunny day for, you know, sunshine, no clouds, all that kind of stuff. How, how did you kind of manage that and make sure that it was still as it looks on screen? Yeah, well, I mean, and obviously that's a, that's a, that's a question that'd be worthwhile having Tony O'Loughlin, my cinematographer, present for as well, you know, because that was our, <laughs> that was our struggle. But look, 
first of all, as you say, like shooting in Queensland, you're just getting so much value for your money, you know, because you just turn the camera in any direction. It's breathtaking. And working in Queensland, again, this is now the second film that I've shot directed in Queensland. I love working there. The teams there are amazing. Crews are amazing. The support from the local government from Screen Queensland is so fantastic. And so I love working there and I look forward to continue working there. But obviously working in far north Queensland, really up in the tropics, um, yeah, like you're, you're at the mercy of the weather and it will change on a dime. You know, it will be a beautiful sunny moment and then 20 minutes later you will be in the middle of what seems like a real cyclone. And so you've got to dash inside and and make things make the most of it while you can. But, you know, that's just the nature of, of movie making, right? I mean, there were some times there where it was a little bit stressful and we're poking our heads out. I mean, if you when you see the film, there's a sequence where where Josh's character Will first arrives in the town and he gets there and we're at we're at Ellie Beach, uh, a jetty just near Ellie Beach there. We arrive in the morning, it's pretty grey, and then just as we're setting up, it is bucketing monsoonal weather. I'm looking, I'm freaking out. This is meant to be this character's introduction to paradise. I'm freaking out. I was like, okay, make executive call. We're going to go back to the main location and we're going to shoot some interior stuff. Everyone pack up. Oh, bloody hell. Okay, we're in the rain, putting the gear, get in the car, driving 15 minutes back to the, back to the main studio. And then um, someone just calls us and goes, oh, I'm still, at the, I'm still at the jetty. It's sunny now. It's like, no, it's really good. They're zooming me. And it's like, not only is it sunny, but the sun's already drying up all the rain. And, you know, and it's just like, all right, executive call, hit the brakes, everyone turn around, we're going back. Everyone on the radio is like, oh, <laughs> I, wasn't pop- I wasn't popular that day. But we got back and everyone's like, jeez, like it doesn't, it looks like a different day. So if you watch the film, you can still, if you look, if you look over Josh's shoulder, you can just see those rain clouds kind of disappearing into the distance. But, you know, that's just something you've got to deal with. And it's like a, a likewise shooting at a live airfield when you're there, like, that going to the, that, you know, shoot Harbour airfield, that was the first airstrip we saw for our location reckeys back when we were scouting the film. Steve and I went there together. We just looked at each other and went, well, this is it. Like, you know, you're never going to get anything better than this. You're in this amazing valley. It's stunning tropical scenery in every direction and the ocean at the end. Um, it's got everything we need. And so, and that was a joy. The staff there were amazing. I think it looks wonderful on film. But yeah, it's also a helicopter training school. <laughs> So, you know, you're shooting and then suddenly a chopper starts. And if you work in film, you're used to that. You're like, okay, just wait for the chopper. But it's like, no, it's a chopper school. So it's like a 15-minute power-up process on those blades as they're talking about everything. And then they get up and they'll circle for about five minutes, come back, and it's like a 15-minute power down. And so everyone's like, oh, boy. <laughs> and But that's just the nature of the beast, you know, that you've got to deal with that. So we shot the movie in, 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 in all told, 17 days. So it was it was it was it was speedy, and we didn't have time to sit around and wait for the weather. You really have to adapt and, and work on the fly and get creative with stuff like that. Got two more questions. One is about shooting in Queensland, which it's you know again from a WA perspective, I find it so fascinating looking at the different states and seeing how they deal with film production and stuff like that. Like Victoria's got these these big you know volume setups and all this kind of stuff getting built there so it's got soundstage stuff new south wales has got you know fox or disney or whatever it's doing at the moment but then queensland is like everything from lovers in the air to elvis to ticket in paradise and it's all these kinds of different productions that it's both local and global it is almost becoming the hotbed for film production not just globally but in australia from a filmmaker's perspective what's it like shooting there and then also the vibe 
there in being able to shoot and having crews and, and people who have had that kind of experience of working in various different productions. It's fantastic. And yeah, you're right. Like, you know, it really is, it, it, you know, as someone who lives in New South Wales and is, it loves and adores the film industry here and is very, very friendly with crew and the people that work here, it's undeniable that, screen, uh, you know, Queensland's just on fire. You know, it's just it's just drawing so many great talents, drawing so many great productions, and it's got all those things that you spoke of. It's got natural beauty. It's got really great studio space that's only continuing to evolve and get better. They're getting new stuff all the time. The, the developments that are there are super exciting. You know, there's everything from larger companies down to the boutique kind of creative agencies. The crew is fantastic. As you say, so critical. The crew are experienced at working on these larger films. And don't get me wrong, I mean, like, Love is in the Air is, you know... Is, is, is a tiny, tiny film compared to some of these larger productions. Tiny, you know, it's got less than the catering budget on some of these larger films. But the fact is that you've got crew who are experienced at working at that level that can bring that level of experience and commitment uh, and pace to these productions um, because, you know, it's never slow on a movie set and, and, and so you've got to be able to be nimble. Um, I, I absolutely love it. And, you look, I love working all over Australia. I love working all over the world. But, you know, I know that when you are working in Queensland that you've got absolutely dependable options you've got de dependable material that, that is really compelling so you know don't mess it up because you've got all the tools at your disposal basically as the last question which is a really really strange one um but nonetheless it's something which i noticed throughout the film is the the different types of beards okay so we're talking <laughs> <laughs> like so there's a menacing villain beard of the dad and then there's kind of like the the five o'clock shadow of the the romance of the bow and all this kind of stuff and then there's a, you know Roy has this kind of greasy guy in the tools beard you know which is both I've kind of had a shave but then I got distracted halfway through and it's this I'm curious if you can talk about the decision or the the discussions about the visual presentation of these three different men uh, of the beards out so strongly in their beards <laughs> I know it's, it's very, such a it's, strange question but yeah <laughs> it's it's, it's funny right you know because these kind of things are agonized over you know what I mean like yeah. these kind of yeah. people you know I have got he wouldn't mind you telling me this I've got untold numbers of photos of Joshua Sass taking you know 360 degree photo day one of growth day two of growth day three I'm like <laughs> well, day three is pretty good all right I'm going to show these to some people. I'm showing them to my co-writer, Kyra. I'm showing them to producers. I'm showing them to costume people, wardrobe people. What do we feel, you know, like, and, and you know, what do we think is striking and what do we think works best? You know, and I'm familiar, you know, especially with someone like Josh. He's done lots and lots of great work where he's got a big, thick, bushy beard. He's done plenty of work with his clean shaven. Andrew, the response was, I mean, and this is, you know, I was, it, it really was just, we think that was the best look for him with you, who plays his father, another wonderful performer, another wonderful performance, I think that's just, you know, how he was at the day, and I thought it, it worked well. And But as for Roy, that was just the beard he had, you know, and and, and I was like, nailed it. I mean, you know, and of course, it, uh, maybe maybe what's more pertinent is maybe it's beard envy on my part, because I can only I can only grow this goatee. So maybe as someone who doesn't have any access to a richer, fuller beard, it's it's beard envy manifesting on screen. It's, just, it's something in my unconscious. Yeah, look, that's fair enough. I mean, maybe it's a personal thing as well. Like whenever I see a beard on screen, I'm like, oh, how did they do it? You know, there is that. <laughs> what are they doing there? That's interesting. Yeah, can I, I think, implement I that into my life? <laughs> I think we've exposed the fact that, yeah, it's just, you know, it's 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 my desire to have a big, thick, bushy beard, a Gandalf beard that I'll never have. So that's probably it. Yeah, fair enough. 
Well, look, it's been a delight to be able to finally have a chat to you and, and dig into your work and, and the film. Congratulations and everything. And, and as he's saying, Royal in Paradise. So that's coming out in Australia on Netflix, is it, next next week? No, so, so Royal in Paradise is actually having a limited two-day theatrical um, booking. Nice. So it's actually it's in reading cinemas, all reading cinemas Australia-wide. So it's there cool. on the 17th and 18th of this month. And then after that, we will be having a really great online rollout. We'll talk a little bit more about that when it gets closer to that. But that's, again, another film, tropical set film, shot in Queensland that is just you know, really speaks to the beauty and richness of that location and the amazing teams that are there to work on this film.